You're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. A lovingly fanish but often critical look at all eras of Doctor Who. We're overeducated, sex positive, LGBTQIA plus friendly, and often quite meandering. We're also happily married. Spoilers, a disrespect for the Moffat era, and other adult content may be easily found within. Well, hello again. Welcome to the Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story podcast. Uh, I don't know what episode number this is, and I'm too lazy to look it up. I think it's episode 30, maybe? Anyway. Um, if it's 30, that's special. It's a special, special number. Super special, because we have an interview! We do. I was getting to that, baby. No, I'm sorry. All right. Uh, anyway, as always, I am uh, Daniel, uh, and I'm joined by my level level of Shana. Say hello, Shana. Hello! And uh, we have our very first interview on this podcast. This isn't typically something we do, but this is going to be something we're hopefully going to do more of, because we have a really great guest. Uh, I welcome to the podcast Dr. Paul Booth. Hi! Yay! It is great to be here. I'm really excited. In our, in our cramped uh, hotel room here at Chicago TARDIS. This is fantastic. No, I'm really gl- glad you guys asked me. Um, we also have uh, the puppy that you have heard before in this podcast. Um, so, warning for dog-related content ahead as well. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Paul, if I may call you Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why don't we just kind of start, because people may not know who you are and kind of what you do. Um, although, our, the number of people who listen to this podcast, I basically know them all by name. So, um, you know, it's sort of one please of those things. Please tell our friends who you are. Yes. Uh, please tell our friends who you are, yes. Well, I'm a professor at DePaul University uh, here in sunny Chicago, and um I teach classes on fandom, and I teach classes on cult media um, and pop culture, Um, and I am a fan of Doctor Who, and I edited a book called Fan Phenomena Doctor Who, and I write about Doctor Who, and um, I basically live the dream, (laughs) live the (laughs) academic dream, which is that I get to study something that I love. Uh, When did you first start watching the show? I can't remember. Um, I was a baby. I was a kid. My dad um, is British. And um, moved over here, and um, I was born, and that's when history begins. And then I, um, he started introducing me to Doctor Who before I can really remember. Um, but I, I can clearly remember when I became a fan of Doctor Who, um, and that is the episode, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. That's a great one to get started on. Um, I, I, don't, I, I know I saw earlier ones. I know I saw Baker, and I know I saw um, Davison. For a long time, Davison was my doctor. Um, but Greatest Show in the Galaxy is when I was like, this is the show that I love. Yeah, again, yeah, with uh, the great ace and the uh, the, the crazy clown, and uh, Shana hasn't seen that one yet. Where oh, uh, so no spoilers, fine. but no, it, no, no spoilers for the uh, you know the thing that happens. The uh, thing, the things that happen. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the the <laughs> clown scared the the crap out of me. And... You can swear on this podcast. <laughs> okay, I didn't know how. Yeah. how... We, well, we titled an episode. That fish fingers in custard bullshit. Okay, so you know, <laughs> excellent. And other more explicit titles. Um, yeah, I, I, the the clowns could crap out of me. Um, Ace was awesome as always, and I just, it, I just fell in love. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm pretty much going to turn it over to Shana and Paul now because they're going to have a much more in depth academic conversation than I'm sure I'm able to have. But I'm going to sit here and tell jokes and keep the puppy away from the microphone. So, I, well, you know, uh, so I think, Shana, I think Daniel is flattering. A little bit more than he needs to, um, but we have a professional Doctor Who geek on the show right now. That's right. I, like we, I we do really make a living talking about Doctor Who. Like well. we, we really have to up our game here. Okay, like so. All right. I, I don't want us to embarrass ourselves. Would you like to give us a Foucauldian reading? <laughs> I, I could, I could very happily give you a Foucauldian reading. I don't think you want a Foucauldian reading no, of Doctor really. Who. Um. So we. Uh, you've talked a little bit in the the two panels I've seen you yeah. in now, um, primarily about fandom as 
an entity. Yes. As it were, in the role of Doctor Who. Um, can you talk to a little bit of the history of the fandom? Because I know that that's a lot of what yeah. you looked at. Um, that's, that's a really interesting uh, uh, topic um, because Doctor Who fandom has gone through so many different phases and I mean it's basically regenerated more than the Doctor has. And I mean Doctor Who fandom is kind of one of the inventors of fandom as we know it. It really is. I mean when it, it, Doctor Who had one of the very first official fan clubs of a TV show. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if it, it, I don't think it predates the Star Trek fan club mm -hmm. but it certainly does, uh, it, it was certainly um, huge. Um, and, and much bigger in England. Um, but informally, Doctor Who fandom has been strong since the 60s. I mean, if you go all the way back to Dalek Mania um, in, in uh, 65, 66, 67, um, you've got, I mean, it's, it's really some of the first official fan activities um, that we, we've seen. Um, fans have existed for as a long time. Fans have been around since the days of Don Quixote. Right. Um, but uh, media fandom, and specifically sci-fi fandom, really starts in the 1930s. Um, but it doesn't become influential um, until kind of the Star Trek fandom um, and the Doctor Who fandom. So you can really call Doctor Who one of the pillars of, of fan studies and, and, and kind of fan culture. Um, but Doc how, oh, go why ahead. do you think that is? I mean, is there something specific about that time period or? Well, I mean, there's a number of things that are happening at that time. Um, first, you've got the kind of um, popularization of um, academics in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. and, and I, I don't mean that um, academics became popular because we've never been popular never. people. But um, the kind of the student riots that were going on right. in, in '68, the 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 freeing academia from the stolid, boring, we can't look at things that are popular. So on the academic side, you've got this introduction of we can think about the popular media starting in the 60s. It doesn't really hit big until the 80s, but it starts in the yeah. 60s. Um, but from the media side, I think the invention of television, or, or I should say the popularization of television, was just huge. You can't even begin to think about how huge that was today. Um, because suddenly entertainment that you you would have to go out to see, um, visual entertainment, had to get to go to the cinema, to a theater, um, was in your home, and it was part of your life. It was in your living room. And so it felt much closer to you. It didn't become an event. It became an everyday thing. Um, the big word that we like to use is quotidian, which is a great word. Um, yeah. But we, we like to have fancy words on this podcast. Oh, good, good. At least Partic one a show. One a show. Particularly if they are undefined. You know, <laughs> well, I, I will leave the word quotidian undefined, but I will allow you to yeah. look at look Google at it, it, kids. Um, um, speaking of sorry, the history of fandom yeah. and Doctor Who fandom in general, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. um, if you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the Wife in Space blog by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, in one of their entries, uh, they actually showed a clip from a British TV show from somewhere in like 1964 where they were making a joke about a character, a kind of nerdy character who won't miss his Doctor Who to go on a date. Yep. So even as early as, like, I think, like, the Keys of Marinus was airing or something. So literally in the first yep. year, there was already this stereotype of Doctor Who nerds. Yeah. Of, like, this this kind of concept. Well, and, and it's the, just fascinating that that quickly, you it's, know? It's fascinating and it's it's hilarious, um, but it's also a little troubling in some ways because that stereotype, which originates 
really with Doctor Who and Star Trek, you get the Star Trek geeks, right? The, um, the, the Trekkies who live in their mother's basement and don't go outside and um, can't get girlfriends. These stereotypes kind of persist today in, mm-hmm. in a lot of respects. And I'm not saying that there aren't those types of fans in the world. There certainly are. Um, but that's not the face of fandom today. Well, uh, and I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't know if you went to the Billy Piper interview. I was in the overflow room, oh, okay. sadly. but So you saw it. I saw it. Um, but one of the things she talked about was uh, with New Who, um, she said several times, her head doesn't quite work the way to understand science fiction. Yeah. Um, but what got her with New Who was the story. And so, so the characters were the, the characters, like, the very, and uh, um, yeah. basically she said, you know, Rose, Rose and Jackie and Mickey mm-hmm. and and their kind of familial relationship, um, and that kind of well, and she specifically talked about the fiftieth anniversary yeah, yeah. and just saying I don't understand, and that she calls David Tennant to get her answers. Which, uh, <laughs> cute. Yeah, very cute. Um, a million shippers suddenly yeah. freaked out. Well, every time she said his name, I think mm-hmm. about a million shippers freaked yeah. out because she said Dave. Every time. And I was like, oh, they totally did it. Uh, but, man, where was I going with that? Yeah, you uh, totally got lost in the David and Billy Yeah, uh, David reverie. and Billy. Oh. Yeah. Um, but talking about how with Contemporary Who, it has gained such popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's because it has done something specifically to kind of shake the geek? Um, I don't think it's done anything differently that other shows haven't also done. Um, Like what? Like, give me an example. Well, you know, take something like the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Okay. uh, Which is a fantastic show. Right. um, In in a lot of ways, much better than its predecessor. Yeah. Um, And and it opened up the sci-fi adventure um, to also include families and include... What what I, I you know what I would call soap opera elements, and I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean I don't mean that as a right. bad thing. I mean that as there are elements of family and suspense, and mm-hmm. um, we care about the plot, but we also care about what happens to these people. Um, in in kind of the classic days of of television sci-fi, the sixties and seventies, there may be kind of immediate suspense of will Kirk and Spock get out of here, mm-hmm. and and will. Uh, um, Apollo survived this mission. Um, but really, you weren't that concerned. You knew that Kirk was going to survive. Right. You knew that Spock was going to survive. Doctor Who is somewhat similar. You know the Doctor is not going to die, and you know the Companion's probably not going to die. Um, especially if Moffat's writing, because no one ever dies in Moffat's era. And if they die, they come back. If they die, they come back. One of one of our recurring uh, themes is uh, no consequences. Yeah, I that think thing, yeah. during the uh, four months of this podcast that we talked about Moffat, because we did a review of Series 7, mm-hmm. and then did Series 8 sequentially, so we literally talked about Moffat for four months, which never again will we talk about Moffat <laughs> for four months, because it was uh, very... But no consequences, I think, was set on every single one. Of yeah, those and and, and I, that's 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 a that's almost a harken back to the past of sci-fi. There, there yeah. really wasn't consequence because um, Kirk could be with the green-skinned alien in this episode, and no one will mention her again, right? Where mm-hmm. that doesn't happen today because you get these continuing character arcs. And I think that's speaking to what what you you were saying about how what's different. It's not so much that Doctor Who's doing something outrageously different than other shows. What it's doing is fitting within the paradigm of shows today, which mm-hmm. is um, mixing heavy plot with character arcs. Um, even and a our, return to the melodramatic a little bit. And a return and... to the melodrama and, and um, a lot of the soap opera politics, um, mm-hmm. which... 
people love. And, 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 and what that does is it brings in completely different audiences. Mm -hmm. You get the sci-fi uh, uh, lovers, you get the soap opera lovers, you get the relationship people. Um, you, you kind of cover all of your bases in a way that doesn't alienate people. Mm -hmm. um, I shouldn't say that. There, Of course, it's Doctor Who, so, you know, you know someone's, getting alienated. someone's get, getting alienated and angry. Um, but there's enough difference that it, it still can work. Um, kind of on that, uh, so this may be a surprise. We're not huge fans of Moffat. <laughs> um, and when I hear people talk about it a lot, and I kind of asked this uh, at the panel we were just at, um, but I kind of want to expand on that. Um, there are a lot of people who came to the show with Matt Smith and who mm -hmm. love this series and yeah. who love Amy and who love Rory. Um, but who then seem to have a really hard time talking about, okay, well, is it sexist? Yeah. Is it racist? Um, because there is so much fandom that kind of fills in. It's like, well, you know, Rory was alive for 2,000 years, so look at all the stuff he must have done. How much would he have learned? Mm -hmm. That's not actually in the show, but it's kind of referenced to. Um, writing about the show, thinking about the show, how do you take that into context? Yeah. Well, it, and it's just the way you frame it. Um, mm -hmm. If it's something that fans have come up with, you frame it as a fan theory. Mm -hmm. If it's something in the show, you frame it as canonical. Mm -hmm. um, and what's difficult is when fan theories become canonical. The classic example of that is um, in Star Trek, Uhura and Sulu's first names were never in the show. Fans came up with them, and then they used them in the movies. And that, that's, that's this great example of fanon yeah. becoming canon. Um, Another a Doctor Who example is the Series 6B. Yeah. Um, phenomenon, which Shana doesn't know about because we haven't gotten there yet. But, uh, yes. Uh, but, I mean, we can talk about, I mean, um, yeah. Patrick Troughton, for those who may not know, who may be new series fans, um, Patrick Troughton's Regeneration at the End of the War Games, he had, comes back in some other specials and some novels and stuff, and there's a fairly widespread fan theory that um, essentially... In between the time that he uh, is uh, exiled and when uh, John Pertwee shows up, he had many, many years of adventures. Um, this is something that the, the fans came up with, and essentially the writers of the show just sort of started incorporating. You know, well, like I think Robert Holmes said, "Yeah, basically that's kind of was our idea." You know, um, well, and and you know, they the fan the the producers today that are incorporating it were the fans that were coming up with this theory in the past. So right. I mean, that's that's what we're, we're talking about the same like this continuity of mm -hmm. uh, fan to producer. Um, my colleague Matt Hills calls them the Doctor Who Mafia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, to, I mean, to get back to your point about, you know, kind of the headcanon versus canon and how you write about it, um, you know, it, it, it gets, uh, gets a little tricky because you don't want to step on anyone's toes and you don't want to mm -hmm. say, um, you know, Moffat thought something up if it was thought up by the fandom, um, but you also want to give Moffat credit where credit is due if he's come up with something good. Um, and Or if he's come up with something bad. Or if he's bad. come up with something bad. Um, I, this, the, the, the Moffat is racist, the Moffat is uh, sexist um, kind of ideas in fandom, which I, I think have a lot of credence, are not necessarily... I think the, 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 the way that I get my head around it is I don't think Stephen Moffat himself is like this raging, sexist classist, racist person. <laughs> You're not going to let me finish my thought. Go ahead, but go I think that he is a product of a okay. culture yeah. where no one has ever told him 
this is racist. I mean, what I mean is I don't think Moffat goes around thinking women are less than men. I think he has this idea that feminism is X Th this when is, that is not what feminism this actually is. This is a conversation is. Shane and I, this is an argument that Shane and I have. All the regularly. time. So the, where, where I like to draw the line is I don't like to say Moffat is this because I don't know Stephen Moffat. Exactly. Gonna, I like to say I, the work that is being produced has these, these yes. qualities. And that's, that's and what I, I would say simplified yes. into yeah. I, I don't want, this, I don't want to like say that Doctor Who is the work of one person. It's a collaborative yeah. creation, and I totally get that. Um, but it is difficult to maintain that when you have direct quotes from the showrunner when people asking him, so could the next Doctor be a woman? And he's like, <laughs> and the next Queen's going to be a man, Yeah, uh, essentially. Uh, that is troublesome. Yeah, no, I, and, and, and and don't get me wrong. Right. <laughs> like, I, but, I, I agree there are really troublesome things that he's said, and there's mm -hmm. troublesome things in the show. Um, but... On on the whole, I, I hesitate to call Moffat himself blanket sexist. Right. I think he tries. I just yeah. don't think he succeeds. Right. And I think he doesn't succeed because he's a, he's product, a product of his culture. A product of his culture. I also and, think series eight is bad in very different ways than series five that, or seven. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. and he's trying, and, and I I agree with you, and I think he's trying different things. He's he's mm -hmm. like okay, so it doesn't work to have powerful women who are powerful because they're mothers. And, or are powerful because they're in love with the Doctor. Mm -hmm. So if we take that out, how can they be powerful? Well, let's continue to compare them to the Doctor. Yeah. Like, he's stuck in that paradigm. Yeah. But he's trying, like, you can see him trying to get out yeah. of it. I think the problem for me with that specific storyline was... Uh, um, which storyline are you talking about? Uh, uh, well, Clara. Okay. Um, but in you mean the, most... the series eight Clara or the series seven Clara? <laughs> two different Claras. They're two yeah. very different okay. characters. So season eight Clara. Sure. Um... And and this is something else we can talk about of in terms of fandom because season eight or series eight Clara um, I actually start to like her a little bit more. She questions herself. Mm -hmm. She even though she's getting power by comparing herself to the Doctor or being the Doctor in certain areas, um, she's you know making a life for her own. But then you have and this happens all the time because I don't remember titles. The episode at the school. The caretaker. The caretaker episode, which literally ends with the doctor on one side and Danny on the other, right. arguing over what she gets to do. Who, who's who gets to take Clara? Yeah. By the way, our title for that episode was "I did gymnastics, so I get Clara's pussy." Yeah. <laughs> that was our other more explicit title. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, but a lot of fandom response has not been oh this is sexist or oh this I I heard panelists. At this event, talk about how they really liked Danny Pink because he was so such a stronger, and I'm putting that in air quotes, scare quotes. He's such a stronger male figure than Mickey. Yeah. And well, and I, as a man, I can't relate to the Doctor because he's superhuman. Um, and so you have this female character for the women and the boyfriend character that is supposed to be for men. Hypothetically, mm -hmm. was the argument. And that Clara ends up getting put in this position where people call her bossy and yeah. whiny and... All, all names that we give to powerful women. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I can... When you're dealing with fandom, you're never dealing... I, mm -hmm. People like to say, oh, fans do this. But really, fans are not a homogenous group at right, all. Right, And they completely disagree about things. And that's the beauty of fandom, is it, it allows you to talk about issues and talk about these issues and, and talk about and have discussions about how we can solve these issues. Mm -hmm. Um so, I mean, per, I, speaking from someone who knows about fans, 
Um, I would say that that's awesome that they're having this discussion and they're saying this is how I feel and and they're defending it with points of view. From an academic point of view, that's what you do is you have a thesis, you defend it. Um, From a personal point of view, I can disagree with them and I can point to counterexamples and I can say, well, there's a history. I mean, I think what people forget is there's there's a history of representation and there's a history of how women are portrayed and represented and becoming part of that history in by by adding on to it is not the same thing as breaking out of it mm-hmm. so saying that clara gets to choose between these two men and it's her choice this time is not exactly the same thing as saying claire can do things on her own without a man right so is that and i guess I, I, a good question and i don't have an answer for it but a good question would be is that a step forward it may not be all the way forward, but is is it a, is it a positive step, mm-hmm. or is it a side step? Is it is it simply ignoring the problem and then um, uh, saying that we're we're sugarcoating it or plastering over it? I don't know. I think that will depend on your position on on feminism and representations of women and what that means in in a, in a kind of larger culture and and the fact that we can have these discussions. I think is very is itself a very positive thing. So. But speaking personally, I agree with you. <laughs> the, the, you, gonna, are, you are our favorite podcast, yeah, sir. Take, yes. off, take off the academic hat. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an atrocious depiction. But yeah. I can also see from what, what he's trying to do, I can see him trying to respond and just not quite getting it. But is there power in an attempt? I think there is. But that's okay. all. I also work with freshmen yeah. writing who, you know, well, the fact he, that they're trying is I, important. I would like so. to see Stephen Moffat take one of your freshman writers. <laughs> <from that>. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I guess that's that's another question that I have. Um, we as fans sometimes, if we like something, it's good writing. And if mm. we don't like something... It's bad, yeah. It's bad. Um, so, or if I can headcanon my way to something that I like. Then suddenly I can make the writing. Yeah. You know, like, and, and I feel like there's so much, I think that, and, and to take Moffat's side for, for a moment, Ooh, which yes. we don't do a lot on this podcast, but um, I think if you're looking at it from a showrunner's point of view and you're saying the fans are going to, you know, we want the, we want the fans to have this kind of narrative space yeah. in which they can put their own ideas into it. And so kind of making things a little bit more fragmentary, making things a little bit more like kind of depending on the fans to kind of come in. I love this show. I want to love the show. And if I give them some space to kind of put their interpretation in the way that they like it, and even though these two people may completely disagree about what they means, but they both like it. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you have a good point. Um, he's, he also, he's, you have to remember he's also getting, while Moffat might be going online and might be looking at Tumblr and might be hearing all these discussions, yeah. more than likely someone from the BBC is going to, you know, uh, uh, BBC.com's comments and seeing all the, as you're saying, all the positive comments. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Moffat's going like, that's what he's hearing, like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And there are, oh, there are also these people who really don't like what you're doing, but let's concentrate on the ones who love it because they're the ones who are going to buy the yeah. Doctor Who Sonic Screwdrivers and Fezzes. They're the ones who are going to dress as Clara. Cool. So I, I, I see exactly what you're saying. There's these different groups, and it depending on how you're going to interpret what they're saying. I, I think there's also, um, for me, there's this sense in which, you know, obviously, I mean, Shane and I are still watching the show. Well, sure, yeah. You know, I mean, we're not going to stop. I mean, we almost kind of, after Series 7B, I think we were really, like, getting to that point of, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the 50th anniversary and the um, the, the Mass Generation. We, we were really done for, for a while. Um, and only Peter Capaldi coming in really made us like, okay, we're definitely wanting to kind of see this. 
Um, but we're, we're, I mean, I don't think we're actually going to stop watching the show. No. Uh, right. Know? It's an empty um, threat. I hear, I hear it a lot. Fans saying, I'm going to stop watching when Capaldi comes on. I'm going to stop watching when Clara dies, X, Y, Z. Uh, I think that's always an empty threat. <laughs> I think, I think if you are, if you care enough about a show that you care what happens to the main character and you care about the behind the scenes, you just care. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um... Uh, to, to get it off of yeah. Moffat for just yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to um, you know I, I I want to talk. Um, sorry, I said I wasn't going to say very much, but I I just I'm a long winded asshole, so you know, I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. talk. I don't know um, why you were trying to like edit yourself before we even started. Talking. I do this all. I self deprecate you know, yeah. that way. Um, that way nobody expects too much from me. Um, going back to kind of talking about the popularity of the show and the um, the history of kind of the popular acceptance, mm-hmm. at least in Britain, of the show, um, I think it's interesting that the show kind of hit a ratings peak around 1971 or yeah. so um, in the, the classic series. The John Pertwee kind of era, which we now kind of look back at and go, it's a little samey. You know, you don't meet a lot of, like, really hardcore. I mean, you meet a few hardcore Pertwee fans, but most people are like, oh, I didn't really get good until Tom Baker yeah. shows up. But, that, but really, the ratings were not quite where they were like Terror of the Autos I think is the highest rated Doctor Who episode ever at least I, I've kind of read that somewhere I, mean, I, um, I honestly I don't know um, so, so in terms of right. popular acceptance it was actually like kind of those uh, horror tropes yeah. The, the kind of military, the, the kind of we're, we're embracing what's going on, like the Hammer Horror stuff mm-hmm. from that time, that kind of propelled it into this kind of stratospheric thing. Well, you and also have slowly like. slowly decreases, you know, after that. You yeah. also have a huge um, fan base that is just like, ooh, John Pertwee's sexy. There's, well, I think there's... that's just Camille Cadori. <laughs> I think it's more than just Camille Cadori. She, she herself, I think, was She's watching it a million times. Quite a person, <laughs> but yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that go into ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, one is what is the competition? Sure. Um, and especially during the 70s, there was not a huge amount of competition. Um, ITV kept trying to put out different spacey sci-fi type things and they never caught on. So, um, so Doctor Who was kind of unopposed at the time. Um, uh, but you also, it, it kind of, there's a reason I think that procedurals like CSI and Bones um, and NCIS are consistently the top-rated shows. Yeah. Um, but the fan audiences, you know, go for the Supernaturals, the Doctor Whos, the more the Vampire Diaries, like the more culty type shows. Well, like something like Law and Order. I was a Law and Order fan. For oh yeah, a long yeah. Time. And I mean, that's a show which is straight procedural, mm-hmm. straight. You know, there's really there is very subtly in the background of you know scene four of episode seven or something. There's like some little you know like fan theory mm-hmm. kind of thing, but it's a very like you know. You get every week, you know. Yep. You know, yeah. um, and that show has a kind of devoted fan base yep. that is very, very different from the kind of things the kind of people that come to these kinds of conventions. Yeah, so. yeah, no, it's a very, very different kind of fan. Um, it's you might call it a more populist fan. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And and I wonder if that's what Doctor Who was getting in the seventies yeah. as well was this kind of mainstream acceptance because it wasn't that challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say it wasn't good, but that it wasn't. Um, challenging contemporary thinking. And I, I think Doctor Who's at its best when it's challenging us to change yes. the way we think. Um, and perhaps that's why it's so popular today in getting mainstream acceptance, because it's not. And people like to feel comfortable. I mean, people well, love to watch TV and not be challenged. Just just in a small way to kind of speak to that, Dominic Glenn said in his, uh, who 
is uh, was the composer of the 1986 theme, Doctor Who theme, and uh, has written for much TV for the podcast audience. Sorry, uh, you know um, Dominic Glenn. You should check out his website. Um, but he was talking about the he he was asked about the, the current music in Doctor Who, and he says, you know, honestly, you know, Murray Gold. He loved, I love Murray Gold, but like it all kind of sounds. It, it doesn't really sound innovative in yeah. the way that like Doctor Who in the 60s or 70s. Oh, the, the you know electronic like, scene. Some, some oh, of it was man. terrible. Yeah. You know, it was. Doing- it's a weird, the Dudley awesome Simpson stuff. had as many horrible yeah. themes as amazing themes, but you know it well, was always like, something new. Talking about Dominic Glenn, mm-hmm. um, he he did a performance here. He talked a lot about it. He is trying, like it sounds more like in his spare time. Yeah, <laughs> he's an experimental mm-hmm. music, technical music. Um, what did he call it? I think technology music or something like music that. Music technology. Music technology. He, he was at the forefront of a movement. And, I mean, we make fun of it now, and, you know, oh, it's the synths and all that kind of stuff. No, but, but at the time, it was yeah. so avant-garde. And, and you're, you're absolutely right, Murray Gold isn't doing avant-garde, Mm-mm. right? He's not... And, and I, you can see the same thing in the credit sequence. The original Doctor Who credit sequence is groundbreaking. Oh, yeah. Um, that and Deli still Derbyshire. really cool. And still really cool. I, I show Doctor Who in class, and it, students stop. When they see that, they're like, what is that? That yeah. is weird and intriguing. So and to the, this day, I think my favorite credit sequence is the 1963... It's just unbelievable, Dr. Oho. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but the you're never going to be able to unsee it now. Dr. Um, Oho, title of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and, and even you get the diamond logo and, and traveling through this weird psychedelic well, landscape. And the 80s logo that was so 80s. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the, you're talking about the Sylvester McCoy one, you know, which, you know, might as well be MTV with a little, you right, know. Right. <laughs> Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But today the credit sequence is much more, I, I like it. Actually, I really like Capaldi's new credit sequence, but yeah, but that was based off of a fan, was, and that was based video. off of a fan video. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of the Eccleston one too. The uh, yeah, that, that very, you know, mm-hmm. that first. Yeah, I'm that a kinda, big fan of Eccleston, a little bit more, though. Little yeah. more driving beat. You know, we're we're big Eccleston fans in this uh, in this household. Too, <laughs> um, but I and I wonder how, but I wonder how avant-garde the credit sequence is today, yeah. as it was in the past. I, I um, would I would love, and the credit sequence is the other example that was kind of in my head. You know, and that it, it feels like we're kind of doing the same thing over and over again because and that's you know kind of what a kind of popular audience wants and i think a show for talking about fandom if we're talking about you know we're hardcore fans like, yeah i'm not going to stop watching doctor who i will hate it for years, <laughs> you know, but i won't stop talking yeah. about doctor who and watching doctor who but um that's certainly you know they're you know when doctor who was canceled originally it was because arguably in the late 80s you know i mean you, you there are all kinds of budgetary things and all kinds of stuff but arguably, it just wasn't really reaching that mass audience yeah. anymore. And some of that was, you know, John Nathan Turner let it get a little bit too inside. I think yeah. that's it, you know, and, um, you know, but arguably, I think Moffat kind of does that as well. Yeah. You know, because there are a lot of, like, in-jokes and references. And a you know, million that, and one red herrings. Mm. Which is well, another he, thing. He but, encourages yeah. fan theories. Yeah. Um, but and then, I don't have a problem with that yeah. in and of itself. But to me, they get distracted. Well, it depends. I mean, here the the bottom yeah. line is there's. It's. I mean, it's an opinion thing. It's an opinion thing, and no one's opinion is right. No one's opinion is wrong. Um, and, and we the the trouble is when Doctor Who doesn't allow opinions to form. Yeah. And then and or or makes fun of people's opinions mm-hmm. or um or closes off opinions. So um, if Doctor Who was never ever going to have uh relationship discussions again. 
I would be really upset, even if it's not my favorite part of the show, right. because I love the fact that it allows that conversation mm-hmm. to happen. If it if it didn't have red herrings ever again, I would be really sad because I love yeah. I love reading fan theories, mm-hmm. even if I don't agree with them, even if I think a lot of times they're really bonkers. Yeah. Um. The the for me the best Doctor Who is the Doctor Who that is so weird and bizarre and tries something, and and too much Doctor Who has not tried. And I think that's, I I continually, lately, go back to the Unearthly Child mm-hmm. and the 100,000 B.C. Unearthly story. Child slash 100,000 B.C. Let's get our, let's get our definite articles right. Or else I'm a bad we're fan, get, it's okay. Actually, I would love to get a million fans re- listening to this, first of all, <laughs> and writing us emails, but, you know. Um, but I love going back to that first episode because you have Verity, yep. you have Waris Hussein, you have these really, just in and of themselves as producers of a TV show that is kind of groundbreaking. But then you have this whole, essentially, caveman storyline that is about politics, that yep. is about religion, that has gender discussion. You have kind of a Lady Macbeth character. You have Barbara taking this role and immediately speaking against the Doctor and saving the enemy. And you have all these things going on and still have the room to have all the fan talk about whether Barbara and Ian are already a couple or mm-hmm. not and, you know, what's going on well, there. Well, at that point, the whole thing was, well, who is the Doctor? You know, yeah. yeah. This guy who's just a jerk and there's no... Like, the word Gallifrey isn't spoken for, what, 10 years? 12 not, years? Not Gallifrey, not until, I think, the... Th- well, certainly not the third... Until the third Doctor. At least the third. I, I'm just... Because they don't even say Gallifrey in the War yeah, Games. Yeah, no, in the War Games, they just yeah. say... The t- word Time Lord comes up in the yeah. War Games. But, you know, so... But seven think, years yeah. before the word Time Lord yeah. is spoken. Part of what I like about it, though, is that it's um, it's a quiet story in yeah. a way. There's there's so much that you can read into it and talk about it and fan fan build. Um, but looking at kind of where contemporary who has gone with kind of the more added melodrama and this soapness, that for me, what is left for fans to fill in feels a little scripted. It's mm. yeah, you're supposed to be talking about the relationships. It, it doesn't open it up to the so political what, conversation. What you would like is the uh, it, it's almost like Doctor Who is making it tacitly okay to talk about some issues, but not okay to talk about others. Yeah, I I, I guess that's what it it uh, the Moffat era has done for me mm. is is felt like he's not open to having those political conversations. I mean, the fact that Captain Jack has never come back. Yeah. And he was such an interesting character. He was like, uh, Daniel says all the time, I don't know if you've actually said it on the show yet, um, that in your mind, Ten, uh, the 10th Doctor is completely pansexual. I mean, it's very queer friendly. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think the 9th Doctor is pansexual. I think the 10th Doctor is polyamorous, but, you know. That's splitting hairs. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's very important. But no, that's fair. That's fair. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but that we had all these really engaging political, social ideas that very clearly have not been around yeah. since Moffat. Um, well, I, I think just to speak to that, I'm uh-huh. sorry to you know to, uh-huh. to jump in there, but I think that over the you know if you look at the history of the show, there are eras that are more kind of politically motivated. There are eras that are a little bit more silly motivated, or you know, and, and there's you know ideally there's some kind of mix between the two. Um, Shannon and I came in uh, in with New Who. We came in actually not we only started watching a few years ago, so um, you know I caught up just watching the show at night. You know mm-hmm. after doing homework. Yeah, yeah. I do organic chemistry homework. 
Martin for two hours and Calculus someone for two hours and then watch a William Hartnell series. <laughs> and I watched them all consecutively. Um, so uh, I come at it from the point of view of just having watched them all very uh, recently. Yeah. Very recently. Mm-hmm. And um, only haven't gotten into it recently. And you, when you do watch them all consecutively, you do get this peaks and valleys yeah. of, you yeah. know, like, oh, you know, that first third Doctor season is a very, like, politically oriented, like, they're really talking about current issues, mm-hmm. which you really weren't seeing in Troughton as much, you know, and then, you know, at the end of Tom Baker, it gets kind of just laughing about and being silly, you know, and I think there's a place for both. I'm not, you know, but I think that Shane and I are kind of more like, we're almost more on that Star Trek edge of the continuum where we like the political kind of commentary stuff. Um, Yeah, no, I, and, and I think that there's space, there's a difference between opening up the space for fans to talk about it and actually talking about it and engaging with it. Yeah. And Doctor Who is great when it engages with it. Um, sometimes it isn't, (laughs) sometimes it fails, but by engaging with it, 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 it gives fans a chance to learn about things they may not have thought about before yeah. and question question the world around them, which is really what I think TV is very good at. Yeah. Um, to get back at what I was saying at the very beginning, you know, TV is a quotidian. It's in our lives and it mm-hmm. feels like part of the family. And so if TV is asking you to question what you're thinking, you tend to listen to it because mm-hmm. it's part of your family. And I think that might be a good way to wrap up. Um... I actually, I want to... Oh, just, you're going to keep just, going. No, I have, I have a very say. quick... I just want to do a little bit of fun, you know. Okay, stuff yeah, like. go for it. Um, Paul, who's your doctor? Oh, yeah. Oh, I to ask. no, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me this. Okay, yeah. well... Hold no, on, no, no, okay. Rewind, rewind. No, 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 no I, can, I, I can answer. <laughs> well, so, I have several doctors. That's yeah. the thing. You I, can I, answer who your, like, doctor uh, is. Like, talk about... Talk about Talk about your favorite doctor. All right. Well, the thing about having a favorite doctor, I feel like I, because the doctor is multiple, then I, and I, I am also multiple. I think everyone is multiple. So we have different personalities in different situations. The way that I'm speaking on a podcast is going to be different than the way I would speak in class. It's going to be different than the way I would speak to have a conversation with my wife, right? So we, we are different in different situations and that's how I view the doctor. So, um, I have different doctors. Um, the doctor that I grew up with was Peter Davison. Mm-hmm. So he will always be the kind of iconic doctor in my head. My favorite doctor is Patrick Troughton. I love Troughton's portrayal and his energy and his silly seriousness. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think David Tennant owned the role mm-hmm. um, and, and is the template for all kind of future doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be too early to say this, but Capaldi is getting up there because he is, I love the asshole doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think that's an important characteristic that we often forget yeah. about people is people are assholes. Well, and why does the doctor have to be likable? And why does he have to be likable? Because Hartnell was not. No. Not a lot of it. Well, and Hart, I, well, I love the idea that Hartnell is an asshole. No, that Hartnell's doctor is an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there was so much exploration of his character yeah. at that time that I find it hard to characterize him as just one thing. I, oh, I think yeah. Hartnell gets one of the... I'm I'm a huge Hartnell fan, yeah. actually. I think that's come through in yeah. this conversation. Um, probably because he was kind of my first classic Doctor. Because yeah. I watched sequentially. Yeah. And so watching it sequentially, it's like... There's so much because you just hear, oh, he's a grumpy old jerk. Mm-hmm. And you don't hear, like, the Romans is hilarious. He's, the he's gunfighters awesome. is He's got lots hilarious. of really goofy little moments he's got that good are hilarious. One, and and if, I think Capaldi has that, too. Yeah, I agree. Well, in and, and Reign of Terror, I love Reign of Terror because he plays two parts in that. Right. And mm-hmm. the second part he plays, and I forget the character's name, um, is so completely different to the Doctor right. that you suddenly realize how much of the Doctor is an act. 
right. and not just yeah. Hartnell fluffing lines and I wish, and on. I wish we could actually get to watch uh, the Master at St. Bartholomew's so yeah. we can actually see see what he's doing there yeah. because it's a missing episode and you can't actually watch it anymore yeah. but um, you know that that's another example so awesome uh, and uh, just uh, favorite episode or episodes things that you particularly oh man alright so I'm, I'm going to get a lot of shit for this but my favorite episode of all Doctor Who of all time um, is oh, I'm going to have to remember the name of I think it's um, Day of the Daleks is that the John Pertwee the John Pertwee time, time traveling travel? one yeah, yeah, yeah. yes yeah, Shannon hasn't seen it so don't don't give that one away but it's but, a doc, John Pertwee time traveling one and it's what, what first introduced me to the idea of paradoxes and time oh. travel stories, which is one of my area, like, areas of academic research. Yeah. And so I can, I can point to that as being very formative. One of only a handful of real time travel paradoxes. That's right. Like, I have this hypothesis, or, you know, I have, a, I have an hypothesis. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of tell people when I talk about Doctor Who who don't really know the show, and they're like, oh, it's about time travel. Well, it's really not. It's about the TARDIS is a device, a narrative device that takes us into a new yeah. story. But really, for most of the history of the show, you really don't use it for plot knowledge. There's you know? very little time travel um, other you know, than we are now um, in a different place. C- City of Death, yeah. Day of the Daleks, maybe one or two other yeah, the space Museum. The first episode of the Space, oh, the space Museum. Museum. We're talking classic Who. This is yeah, classic Who. Okay. No, no, no. Who is completely different. And that's, and and that's the one thing that, yeah. like, particularly the Moffat era, just completely threw out the yeah. window. Yeah. Um, which is uh, another thing, but interesting. Although I like how it's used in Father's Day, just to drop that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's Paul Cornell, and you can't say anything bad about Paul Cornell in this uh, on this podcast. One of my all-time favorite episodes is Human Nature. Oh, I love mm-hmm. I love Human Nature. Um, very continuity heavy, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, very, very, a very kind of uh, atypical episode. Yeah. Um, which I think a lot of the like people's favorite episodes are the kind of more atypical ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. A lot, a lot of people say Blink, say blink um, yeah. but I'm not a big fan of Blink. Oh, I love Blink. Um, I, I screen I Blink in like every class, so I've seen it so many times. <laughs> I love Blink. I'm not a fan of the rest of the angles. They they've been misused. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna do a Weeping Angel special one of these days. Cool. Um, yeah, and talk maybe. about all the all the things that Drive a competent writer would have done with the with the Weeping Angel. Because they're so really cool. The idea a, a, is a cool. real science fiction writer, you know. <laughs> um, which I hate um, to say again, we're man, we did yeah. bring Moffat here so into every mean. single one of these things, you know. Uh, then one other question: yeah. Who are your favorite companions? Uh, a new companion, my favorite. New companions, my favorite is Donna by far. Yeah. Um, then you are a good person. <laughs> Um, although what happened to Don at the end is a travesty. Um, I mean, they they refrigerated her. Yeah, um, uh, which is so sad. Well, yeah. it was it was heartbreaking, and I know why they did it, but yeah. I didn't like why they did it. Yeah. Um, uh, old series companions. Well, who doesn't like Ace? Right. Um, I, Gary Show the Galaxy. Um, <laughs> Sarah Jane is great. Um, my wife would kill me if I didn't say Jamie, because actually yeah. Jamie and Zoe as a pair, yeah, um, are amazing. And um, what Fraser Hines and Wendy Padbury as a pair in real life. Yeah, I know, right? I kind of ship them in real life, too. Yeah, they're so cute. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, there aren't very many companions I don't like. Okay. I feel like there's a run from really after, really like the like Liz Shaw all the way out to like Romana, too. There's really not a bad companion. Oh, yeah, oh, I, you know, the Romanas are great. I mean, like, but you go through that list, and, you know, it's it's Liz and then... Uh, Joe and then Sarah Jane and then and there's just it's just winter after winter yeah. after winter after winter after winter. Yeah. It's kind of hard to you, like all of them. They're they're great and know? it's tough. It's tough because I've gotten so used to hearing the companions on Big Finish where they're really fleshed out a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Um. Like I'm thinking like oh I love Nissa 
But I, then I'm like, on TV, this is not that great. Well, it's all her Mrs. audio stuff. This really... is a wet blanket on, on, yeah, on TV, you know. But she's really fleshed out in Big Finish and, yeah. and turned into something really amazing. So I, it's, Well, and it, Charlie. Yeah, oh, God, Charlie. So okay, Charlie might be my favorite companion of all time. I mean, I... <laughs> when she became canon, I, like, I squeed. Yeah. I did. Oh, yeah. Well, Night of the Doctor, if we're going to say something really positive. I mean, Night of the Doctor, I thought, was amazing. Yeah. You know? And it's because you've got six minutes and you don't have time to build a bunch of mythology. But and, it, you know, I think it's really important that Night of the Doctor was not on TV. No, that's that so was true. That was Moffat oh. saying, I'm going to release this online, and it's going to be for the fans, and it's going to be what I want to do, and it's awesome. And I think a lot of Moffat is corporate constraint. Yeah, that's true. I, I do wonder, post-Moffat era, when we'll start to heal, hear the behind-the-scenes, who's yeah. making what decision. In, in what... 20 years, when Stephen Moffat comes to, you know, when a he writes fan his, convention, yeah. you know, yeah. and says, well, these are the decisions that were actually being made, and this was, you know, yeah. because that's the advantage we have with Classic Who, is that, you know, we've had 40 years of interviews with Terrence Dix talking yeah. about mm-hmm. all these things, you know, and telling us... Oh, well, this is what yeah. was really going on. Well, I mean, yeah. for we listened to a guy talk for an hour yesterday about canine. So, oh, like, he's great. That's great. Ma- oh, he, yeah. Yes, he's hilarious. Yeah. And his first presentation, he did kind of a history of the tech workshop mm-hmm. at BBC, which was really another aspect yeah. that shows how Doctor Who mirrors the history of television. Yeah. Um, because it, it is that kind of learning of how it just had to change over time. Um, uh, anything else you want to add? We should we should probably start wrapping no, up here. Uh, I do. Paul has been very generous with our time. Yes, oh, thank this, you. This has been fun. I want to mention Paul's book again. He edited it, and also I think you have an intro. And I have an intro and a chapter. Say, you're yeah. holding it up as if you're on a talk show. I know. You're really, this is audio, <laughs> I'm ho- right? I'm holding it up so Daniel can see for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Fan Phenomena, Doctor Who, edited by Paul Booth, available on Intellect Books. Uh, anything Intellect else you'd like to plug while we're uh, here? Uh, I have some new books coming out. I tend to write academic-y things, so I don't know... Um, uh, we like academic We do like academic things. Well, I've written a book called Digital Fandom, uh, which is an exploration of fans in the digital age. Time on TV, which is a book about time travel on television. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two new books coming out. Um, Playing Fans, which is another fan book, and then Gameplay. I guess I have a theme going through my titles, mm-hmm. uh, which is about board games. Okay. Uh, so I tend to be able to write about really geeky things. Fun. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Uh, I tweet at pbooth81. Nice. And do you have a website? Nope. <laughs> uh, I, I, with an asterisk that is uh, one day, yeah. but I don't... I don't <laughs> I'm don't. sure you have a page on the DePaul website. I have a page website. on the DePaul website. And, that says uh, you teach there. Yeah, and, and other stuff, and we're currently making pages for all of our uh, uh, professors, so one day I will. Cool. Well, you can find all our episodes at uh, oispacefan.lipson.com. Uh, you can email us, oispacefan.com. What? We're also on iTunes. I was, I, I've got a rhythm oh, okay. here. Never Come mind. on. All right. You can edit that out. <laughs> We're on iTunes. You can find us there. Shana wants that to go first, apparently. You can email us at oispacefanpodcast at gmail.com. You can find Shana's Twitter and Tumblr at inkyosa. That's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. You can find me at Daniel E. Harper on Twitter or Tumblr. Uh, and again, our website is oyspaceman.libson.com, and we're on iTunes and Facebook, if you want to find us on Facebook. Thank you so much, Paul, for Thank being you. here. Did I miss anything, Shana? No. <laughs> and as always, the balcony is closed.